This lecture is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Deacon Danny Cahoot. I don't know how you do sometimes, preacher, when you prepare a lesson for over a month and you get ready to deliver it, and then two days before God changes it and says, No, I want you to teach this. So I've been fumbling around for two days now, just putting together what God has laid on my heart. And uh, I've got to inject some of it because it's in my head that uh, I was going to, I've been studying the mountains of God, God's work on all the mountains. We started with Moriah and everything to deal with that. You know, as far as the sacrifice, then the threshing floor where, the, where David had numbered the tribes and then the temple that Solomon built, and there's a whole lot to Moriah. We did Mount Ararat where the ark rested, and it was like four weeks of study with that. There was more to it than what I thought when I got into it. And here lately, we have, uh, the last few weeks, I've been studying Sinai and everything involved with Sinai. And I just, the things that I've, that I've dug up, not dug up, but studied up. Uh, it was uh, when Moses first went to Mount Horeb. Mount Horeb is Mount Sinai. They're the same mountain, and we've gone through scriptures on that. The first thing that happened on Mount Sinai, God calls it the mountain of God. The burning bush. The burning bush was there, and, it, and Moses was keeping a flock, and he just happened to look and see a burning bush. And all my life coming up through Sunday school, in different things, I thought the burning bush, just a little bush tinkling there, but... The Bible says that Moses turned and saw a great sight and there was an angel in the midst of this bush that did burn that didn't burn up. He said, I got to see this thing. So it was not some little thing that caught his eye. It was a huge fire just blazing on a bush and he had to come up. There was no heat. There was no smoke. There was no nothing. And the God told him to take his shoes off. So that's the, I'm not going to get back into that lesson. But that's one thing that took place. Then when, God, then when Moses led the... Um, Hebrews out of Egypt and Mount, right back to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And I'm not going to get back and forth to the scriptures there, but it's the same place where he saw the burning bush. The Lord delivered the Ten Commandments and the entire law, not just the Ten Commandments where Moses, we're going to cover that a lot today. That's why I had to bounce back to it because I wasn't finished with Sinai. I thought I was. But the Ten Commandments and the entire law was given there for these people and all along there hadn't been government they haven't you know it's been yeah you kill this man you get killed and all that I paraphrase a lot y'all have to excuse me on that I say things that you can understand but I paraphrase when I get to the scripture I'll explain it but the entire law the setting up of the feast of the Lord the setting up of the holy days the Levites separate everything that was done the tabernacle being built that was another thing the tabernacle the entire setup how, okay, God says, okay, I'm going to lead you with a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. Well, if you study that, a pillar is something that goes straight up and holds a structure. And uh, I'd had some pictures of it, but we showed a, a lot of stuff like that. But a pillar is very similar to this. This is how the people were guided at night. A pillar of fire would walk, would lead them. And they would follow along. And then in daytime, it would be the pillar of cloud. A pillar, I mean, it's just a little, and it just baffled me the more I studied what these people actually witnessed and saw. And to, to think, after seeing something like this, 
I'm going to get into it in a minute. He's taught on it many times. 90% of what I talk about, I've learned from my pastor. To go down and build a golden calf and say, this is the God that brought us out of Egypt. I'm not going to get on that right now. we got the same problem today in the church today. All these different things happening. But the tabernacle was set up and uh, that's kind of what it looked like. We showed the video the other day. This is the original. And, and Mount Timnah in Israel, they have an actual tabernacle set up like they did in the old days. Same set up, same utensils, same everything. The elements of it are there. The menorah, you can just go in and visit that if you do. And that's how it was actually set up with the temp, with the, with the, uh, the veil. At that point, it was 30, the, when the temple was built, it was 60 foot high. But the temple, it's, the, the, the veil itself, entrance to the Holy of Holies in the old tabernacle was 30 foot wide, 30 foot high, and four inches thick. They put four horses on each quarter and tried to rend it before they mounted it. And it was not some little veil that just hung over there. It was just a heavy duty thing. So when God, when Jesus Christ shed his blood on the cross and he said the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the center from top to bottom, that was no small thing. That was our way of, of entering the one, one mediator between God and man and that is Christ Jesus. Now, we don't have to go behind a veil with a priest. We couldn't go there anyway, but I mean, the sins of the people were brought by the priest. Now there's one mediator. Okay, the Ark of the Covenant was built on Sinai. That's, that's, Sinai is just a huge thing and it was on, it's on their way to Canaan. And so you've got all of these different things of Sinai, which I'm going to bounce back to them, but I was heading to Mount Gerizim. I thought it was Jerusalem, but I just listened this morning. Last minute things, trying to put a lesson together. Are you familiar with Gerizim? Now I'm going to bounce. This is off context right here because I was going to speak about it. Gerizim is where the Samaritans live. And the Samaritan woman she was there at Gerizim and she was uh, drawing water and Jesus left his disciples. You'll understand where I'm going with this in a minute. I'm, like I said, I just bounce around. And Jesus said, I got to go through Samaria. I must needs go through Samaria. And his disciples said, we're not going to Samaria. We're going to go get vittles. That's, you know, that's off limits for us. And so as I got to studying it, when Jesus first went there, the, the woman said, how is it that you're a Jew? Talking with me as a Samaritan, you know the Jews have nothing to do with Samaritans. And I said, you know, what, why is that? So I got to studying that. This is my lesson for two weeks from now. But I'm bouncing into give you a little taste. You got to come hear it. It's phenomenal. Not that I'm teaching it. I said, God has convicted my heart of how unworthy I am. Because I pass judgment on people a lot of times. I shouldn't. And I'm going to bounce back to that in a minute. Hold on. How is it that you're a Jew talking to me, a Samaritan? He said, if you knew who was actually talking to you. And then she said, look, our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And here's where the Jews have nothing to do with Samaritans. The Samaritan people are mixed Jews. They enter interbred with each other and they became a group of people that was half Jew and half whatever. 
And so the Jews hated them and wouldn't allow them to worship in the real temple. So they built them a mock temple, a mock tabernacle in, the, in, in Mount Jerusalem, and that's where they worshiped. And the Jews despised that because they had the law. They had the temple. They had, and so they had nothing to do with the Samaritans because they went against what their law was. And so the Samaritan woman was astonished. How is it that you're a Jew coming here to talking to me? I'm a Samaritan. And then the disciples came up and they looked at him and they didn't say a word, but said, man, you ought not be talking to her. She's unworthy. What are you doing with her? You're stupid low. And you, you can imagine their thoughts because they didn't, they dared not say a word because he was Jesus and they were following him. Come in a couple of weeks and I'll open that back up. I know I opened up just a taste of it. That's a really, really good, powerful mountain of God. I'm doing all the mountains. I'm all the main important ones. I'm, so I'm going to bounce back here a little bit. That's just a little taste of what's coming. A little follow, oh, basically a review. But uh, the Samaritans, even today, worship. They, they do Passover. They do the Day of Atonement. They, atonement, they still sacrifice. They today still worship in Mount Gerizim as Samaritan people. They do not go to Jerusalem on feast days. They go to Mount Gerizim. And uh, I don't want, if I get off on that too much, I'm going to spend too much time on it, and then I won't be able to teach today's lesson, which the Lord wanted me to go. Okay, well, let's start in Leviticus chapter 23. We're still on Sinai, and Moses is getting the law, the continuation of the law. He, the Ten Commandments, he came down, he gave them to them, and, and uh, when he came down, he saw them worshiping whatever. Every, anything goes, so he broke the tablets, and then he went back up and got the Got another copy. That's another paraphrase. But anyway, God gave him the entire law right there on Sinai. So I'm going to cover a little bit of that, and then we're going to go to Nehemiah, and I'm going to apply it to a day, an age where we are now, where we get so complacent. This is, you know, if, if you use time as a reason not to worship, as a reason not to come to church, as a, I don't have time, I as you know, what, you know what the devil is going to do? He's going to make sure that your life is so congested with, with, with your time out there that he's going to force you, because of your own words, you're going to be snared by your words to where you're not, I don't have time. If you use, I'm so tired, I don't feel like going today. You know what's going to happen next Sunday and next Wednesday and the next Sunday? And pretty soon... Satan will wear you out to where you'll be so tired where you're just, I just can't make it. Whatever comes out of our mouth and it is in our heart, from, from the abundance of our heart, the mouth is going to speak. And when, it, when we're snared by the words of our mouth, that's going to snare us. Satan knows. If we say we can't tithe because we don't have any money, you know what you're going to do? You're never going to have enough money. If you say I can't support missions because... Uh, I got my cell phone bill. You know, whatever, whatever excuse that we use for not serving, there's a difference. My dad taught me years ago, there's a difference in going to church and serving in church. We need servants. We need, what if we had 50 Steve Carters in this church? What if we had another 10 of him? What if we had people that served and didn't just come? We could change the entire city of Richmond if that happened. 
And I'm saying, that's, 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 I'll tell you what, let me show you something here real quick. I got it. This is not the lesson, but this is what's on my heart. Hold on here. Hold on. I got it. Give me just a second. Here you go. This is Haggai. This is talking about, I'm not talking, I'm not talking, teaching on tithing this morning. I'm really not. But I just said, I run into people all the time. They can't afford to tithe. They can't afford to give. They can, but they can afford a lot of stuff. But look at this right here in Haggai chapter one, verse three. Then the word of the Lord came about, then the word came of the Lord by Haggai the prophet saying, is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in sealed houses and this house lie waste? Now therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts. This is the Lord speaking. Consider your ways. You've sown much and you bring in little. You eat, but you have not enough to drink. And you are filled with drink and you clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into bags with holes. I don't have enough money. Of course you don't. If you're a Christian, if you're a born again Christian, that God doesn't need our money. He doesn't need our time. He doesn't need, he doesn't need us for his work. These are tools for us as Christian people to have a successful fellowship, relationship, and glorious time. And just have a, oh God, I love you. We don't tithe because to get, we tithe because God says, hey, I'm going to bless you if you do. You'll, you'll never go hungry. You'll never be cold. And here, let me finish this and I'll get back to the lesson. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring the wood and build this house. And I will take pleasure in it and be glorified. You look for much and lo, it came in little. When you brought in home, I did blow on it. Why, saith the Lord, because my house is waste and ye run every man to his own house. What if the entire church, not just our church, I'm talking about church worldwide, just get this one concept. That, I don't know why I'm going there. You know, if you give a dollar, part of your life has been exchanged for that money. So when you go out and you work and, and God blesses you with income, and you put a dollar, your life is going into that. That's your life going into missions. That's your life going into the ministry. That's your life keeping these lights on. You exchange your life for money, so when you put money in, your life is there. And, and that's a, that's, it's so simple. It's, it's, here's part of my life, Lord. You only ask for 10%. And above that, here's, here's my offering, Lord. You, you've let me breathe another day. Here, take it. Here's my life. And income, money is an exchange of our life that we just put back in the minute. And God just blesses us because of that. He doesn't need it. I mean, God, does God need $50 a week? Does God need $10 a week? Does God need a nickel? No. But he puts it there in his book so that if we obey, it's all about obedience from an open heart. Oh, God, I don't deserve salvation. Let me tell you something, folks. There's been several times in my life coming up that I was not pleasing to God, and I, he could have took me just like that, and I won't ready. All in my life. These are tools for us as people so that we can make it. Because Satan knows 
our weaknesses. And whatever we use as a reason why not, that's what's going to be expounded in our life and it's going to take root. And if you don't pull it up by the roots and make some changes, it's, uh, it'll be that way till we die. All right, let's, all right, I'm, let's see. Let's bounce back to Leviticus. Let me see. Okay, Leviticus chapter 23. Okay, we're back on Sinai. Okay. because I'm heading to Nehemiah, but I want to cover this right here. Leviticus chapter 23, verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, and this is still on Sinai, Speak to the children of Israel, and say unto them concerning the feasts of the Lord, which ye shall proclaim to be a holy convocation. These are my feasts. Now we've talked about this before. A holy convocation is when God commands the entire nation to come together and observe it. You know, we, you know, if back then, if, if you did wrong in your life and something was happening, you were sick, you had leprosy, you had whatever it was, you could go to the priest with a sacrifice and he would go into the temple and he would, and you could get a covering for your individuality there as a covering, as a healing, as a, what should I do? And the mediator was the priest, the high priest, which was a Levite, would mediate to God on your behalf. But a holy convocation is when these are my feasts and you will observe it. This is what God said. The entire nation has to come together and observe these. So that, that's why I said that these, let's see, speak to the children, verse 2, of Israel and say unto them, concerning the feast of the Lord, which ye shall proclaim to be holy convocations, these, even these are my feasts. See, they're God's feast. He commands it. He doesn't just say, hey, just, just, because it started with Passover. If you study it close, he's, he's explaining the church what Jesus died for. When I see the blood, I'm going to pass over you. So the first Passover was in Egypt. And so God said, okay, April in April, this is going to be the, the beginning of months for you. And throughout your generations, I want you to observe this because I've done great things for you. And I want you to remember to tell your children, your children can tell your children throughout all the generations, what a mighty hand I have. And there's nothing in your life that can, if I can do that, what is, what is, what is there in your life that I can't do? And, and so Passover became the first one. Okay, those, those first four, three verses there, he's separating Sabbath from the feast. Okay, so we're going to jump down to verse four. These are the feasts of the Lord, even holy convocations, which ye shall proclaim in their seasons. Okay, on the 14th day, the first month, in evening, it is the Lord's Passover. So that's the first one that is established. Okay, the Passover is a feast memorial that brings into view redemption, which all blessings rest on that. Now, we've gone over this, I mean, each one of these feasts before. I'm going to continue here just a little bit with it. But we have gone into complete detail and gone to explain every single one of them in detail in past lessons. I don't have time for that now because I want to get to this other one, but I just want to give you a brief overview about what they are. It typically stands for Christ, our Passover, which was sacrificed for us. Now, you can go, I'm not going to read it, but 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 is, is a perfect verse where you can jump to and see where Paul is explaining 
that Christ has become our Passover. The Feast of Unleavened Bread speaks of communion with Christ. It's our Christian walk after salvation, after we've been saved. The Feast of Unleavened Bread for these Jews, and it's a, if I'm going to get into that down the road, it's unleavened bread is, is, is without yeast. It represents a life without sin. And that, it's a, this full blessing after redemption is when the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which they celebrate as God's pouring his full blessings on an individual after they realize that they're lost. And uh, it's, it's all pointing to the New Testament. You got the Feast of the First Fruits, which the Feast of the First Fruits is, is they, he, he commanded the very first fruits. It's just like our task. First, what comes in before anything else. The Feast of First Fruits is, okay, this is first that came in. It's God. So that's the first of the crop. Jesus Christ became the first to be resurrected from the dead. It's a type of resurrection. The first. The first is God's. Always. The first is God. Let me tell you, when we were coming up, and my brother can testify to this, and we've been, we just celebrated 41 years of marriage, me and my wife. And when we decided to get married, we've talked about this before. I said, there's three things before I do it. And this is gospel. She was sitting there. She, I'm, I'm not, I mean, this is going on tape, so she, she's listening. I said, I don't care how backslidden we get. I don't care where we go. I don't care what happens in our life. We are going to tithe and we're going to be in church. I don't care what happens in my life. That's going to be a way of life for me. Because it's been that way my whole life. It's me. It's part of me. I'm going to tithe. We are going to tithe and we're going to be in church. I don't care how low we sink. We're coming. Unless we're fighting. <laughs> Just kidding. No, we, we don't, we don't, we don't bring no nugget into this building, I'm telling you. And it's not just, I don't care where we are, we're going. I said, now, if, if I, I like to fish, I haven't been in a while, but I said, if I say, Teresa, I'm going fishing this day, it's no discussion. She understands that that's me. If I say I'm going, I'm going. The other thing I said, if we ever fight and we have an argument, you go home to your mom and you stay there, the marriage is over. <laughs> Those three things we said. That's kind of funny, but that's the truth. But we had three things. And the number one thing that we've done for 41 years, because we were raised that way. Every My dad would get paid on a Wednesday. Before he cast a check on Sunday, he would have a check written out for his tithe and his missions and his work for the Lord, sitting on a piano right there. As soon as he got home, it would be sitting there. And when we go out the door on Sunday morning, my dad drove a church bus. He would pick that envelope up, put it in his suit pocket, and off we went. That's the first thing my dad did with his money. And we were taught that. This has become a way of life. And I'm not teaching on tithing this morning. I'm talking about my dad lived in 91. He just died last year. And the blessings that we have seen on that man's life throughout history of our lives has everything to do with his heart, not his money. All right. That was talking about first fruits. The Feast of Pentecost, I'm not going to go there. Let's jump to, uh, so I can hurry up and get to this lesson here, what I want. Let's go to verse uh, 24 of chapter 23. 
verse 23 of 24. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, which is October for them, on the first day of the month shall ye have a Sabbath, a memorial of blowing the trumpets and a holy convocation. This is leading up to the Day of Atonement. This is leading into the Feast of Tabernacles. This is when the entire nation comes together and, they, and the high priest would get, their, get the sacrifice for the nation, for the nations of the people. And he would go in the first temple, the first veil, where all the service was, but only the high priest could go behind the second veil. And he would go in, we've talked about this before, with a little bell on his, on his robe, a rope tied to his leg, and he would go in, am I right? Did I get it right? Oh God, I'm coming in. See, if he went behind that veil, nobody but the high priest could. But if he went right, God would strike him dead instantly. And these, these other Levites would be in the first veil, and if that bell would not would stop ringing, they would have to pull him out with the rope. Because, you know, it didn't make it. God didn't accept that. But he would go in trembling. And you know, when we get, when we get our prayer life going, when we really need him, when we really need him, we should get on our knees trembling. Lord Jesus, I'm coming to you pleading the blood of my life. Forgive me for what I've done here. Forgive me for what I've done here. Bring to my heart what I can't remember in the Holy Ghost or what we can't know. He'll make those groanings that are necessary and get our hearts and lives cleaned up and then go like we're coming behind that veil. Did I get it right, Lord? God, I need you. I need you right now. My, my, I just, and, and whatever your need is, if you're ready, if you if you're prepared, if you sanctified yourself, look, God will hear our prayer. If we hide iniquity in our heart, He will not hear us. That's word. That's scripture. But if we're right, it's not saying it's the answer that we want. But God said He makes everything beautiful in His time, not ours. But but we've done all that we can do, and now all we do is just trust. And obey, just trust and obey. And this priest would go in with that blood sacrifice trembling behind that veil, approach the mercy seat. And he placed that blood on the mercy seat. And I got, I had, a, didn't bring that picture. I had another picture. Where is it? I left it alone. And that fire, see, that, that, that fire would lead them by night and a cloud by day. And when it came day time for the Passover, see, they, they, they roamed 40 years. When it came time for the Day of Atonement, when it came time for all these feasts, the cloud would stop. The pillar would stop. And they would erect this tabernacle. See, the Levites carried all this around with them everywhere they went traveling for 40 years. When the pillar stopped, they would erect it. See, God said, it's time to worship. It's time to go. As when it comes time for Day of Atonement, when that blood went on that mercy seat and that priest would lay it down and that fire would come down and I would take it and accept that blood. He would come out, it's done, it's finished. And the people would just cheer and shout and he's accepted, he's accepted. And you can, you can just study this all yourself, but it's amazing the visual you get when you put study into it, how you could just picture it. 
And the fire would accept it. And the priest would just, we're good for another year, folks. But that don't mean you can strike your brother. You got to get that right. But I'm talking about as a nation. They blessed the crop. He would bless their, their, he would bless the, the nation everywhere they went. Okay. This is set up in October. Okay. You shall do no silver work therein and shall offer them made by, by fire unto the Lord. That's the, that's the animal sacrifice. And the Lord spake unto Moses saying, the tenth day of this seventh month, there shall be a day of atonement. Okay. He explains the day of atonement. Now I'm going to jump ahead here too, where let me see, make sure I got it. I can jump back there. But uh, let's go to Nehemiah. Tell you what happened in Nehemiah, and this is the same thing that happens in our lives today as people. We forget sometimes what God has done for us. We forget what He's what He can do. We get so caught up in this in this life and in this world with the cares of this world. Ezra Nehemiah. It chokes what word we have in our hearts out. I've said this before as well. You can plant a garden and you can grow your nice, pretty garden and it looks nice when you first plant it. The first picking comes in and you pick it all up. It looks good. Then you go out of town on vacation for a couple of days and you come back. There's a few weeds there. You pull them. Next thing you know, you neglect a day, two days, three days. Next thing, the weeds are in there and you start putting, man, it's just too much work. I've got all I need. I'll just let it go. And you let the weeds go out and choke the rest of the garden out because you've got a temporary satisfaction. If we go a day without reading our Bible, without a prayer life before a holy God, tomorrow will be easier to let it go. Tuesday will be easier. Next thing you know, you've gone a week and you haven't opened this Bible one time. I can't imagine what, what that would do to me. It would just destroy me. This is something I have to eat, folks. I have to have this every single day of my life because this world will choke it out of me if I let it. I'm not boasting on that. I'm just saying this has become a way of life for me. I've said this before and this is not boasting. I'm on my 30th time cover to cover. Actually 31 because we're reading through it on Wednesday. I've studied the maps. I've studied the con. I've cross-referenced every verse in it. And I've, I got this book. My mom gave it to me. October 15th, 1980. And I said back then as a teenager, I'm going to read it. That's something that most people never do is go through this Bible and actually read it. They may, they may read a verse here, a verse there, but I wanted to do something that, that only 1% of the church itself will do. And so I said, Brad, I said, that was interesting. I'll do it again. You know, I can't read one verse out of here where I don't get something different out of it than the first time I read it. That's just, that just blows my mind because I get a cross-reference and a cross-reference and a cross-reference. I never saw that. If you go a day 
it'll come two days. If you go two days, it'll be three. If you go three, then to start getting in your prayer life. Then you get up tired on Sunday morning. Then you get, get off in your private life and, and a thought will come in and a thought will come in and, and then that will take root and it materializes into where we've neglected and it's too much work to pull the weeds. Once the weeds start growing, folks, there's only one solution and that is to grab it by the roots and just pull it out and discard it and get rid of the weeds and have this open relationship because when Jesus Christ died on that cross and that veil was rent, imagine what these Jews thought. This was their power. They'd been sacrificing in law their whole life. And when Jesus gave up the ghost that was rent from top to bottom, that, that veil in the temple was 60 foot high. They tried to sew it back together and get the spirit back and it wouldn't come because Christ had shed his blood. Now Christ presented his blood to the mercy seat up in heaven for God for us and became our mediator. And there's one mediator. There was no high priest at that point. And that's explained in Hebrews. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to cross-reference that because I'm, I'm cycling time. I need to get back to context. But the, the goats and the blood of goats and the sheep and all these other things that were sacrificed were completely done away with it. And the Jews weren't happy about that because they didn't have any more power. God quit accepting their sacrifice. They tried, but it's gone. There will be a third temple built. It's coming, folks. Two weeks ago, I told the pastor I got a video on it. There's a peace agreement between Saudi Arabia right now that they're discussing with the Jews, the United States, and Saudi Arabia, and China, these four countries. And the Jews are discussing, oh, the Palestinians want a state of their own be called a Palestinian state. Jews said, well, we're not giving up anymore our land. And the Jews, the Orthodox Jews, have told these people in this conference, this was on Newsmax. I've got the video on it. I showed my brother. Now, I have, I've been all my life, and I've never heard them actually discuss Temple Mount openly and publicly. But these Orthodox Jews went in this conference and says, before we'll discuss anything to do with the Palestinians, we want Temple Mount. That's what the gnome is, folks. That's where Moriah is, folks. That's where the third temple is going to be built. And I've been, for the first time I can remember, Temple Mount is on a table. How close are we? Can we win one more? Can we invite one more to church? Can we smile one more time at the grocery store? Can we, can, can we get on our knees and pray for a brother? Can we send somebody a card? To, can we do anything that service? Anything. God takes nothing that we do lightly. Some people may not be able to lead Christ, someone to Christ intelligently and explain the gospel, but they can sure invite them to somebody that can. They can sure, hey man, we got a great church going on. They, you can do anything to, to show a light that'll say, in this dark world we've got, can, wow, let me find out what this guy's talking about. I mean, just get them around somebody that can talk. And uh, let me back. <laughs> All right, let me, I'm, I'm, I said Nehemiah, didn't I? I'm, I'm running out of time. Ezra, Nehemiah. Here we are. I got, here's where I'm at now. I lost my train of thought. Talking about the complacency we have as Christians. These Jews, in verse 8, had completely 
abolished their sacrifices, had abolished their law, had, had not abolished it. They just let the weeds of this life choke it out. They neglected. And they got so backslidden, they just refused to obey the law. And Ezra came up and he, and, and he was the priest and he said, let's see. Let me find it where I'm at. Okay, verse chapter 8 of Nehemiah. And I'm going to rush, rush through this real quick. I'm going to have to finish this the next time. I thought I was going to get on Samaria, but I'll finish this the next time and get back to Samaria the next time. All the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street. That's unity. They all gathered together as a group saying, look, we're tired of being tired of being tired. We're sick and tired of it. Let's get things right. Something's not right. The conviction. The Lord started to speak in their hearts and say, look, let me tell you something. You're out of church six months. You're out of church a month, six months, a year. And you're a born-again Christian. I'm not going to do I got something I want to say, but all right, I'm going to have to finish this next time. Basically, I'm going to paraphrase this real quick and go to something else to finish up. Basically, it's Ezra stood up and read the entire law. Let's go to chapter 9. Now, on the 24th day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled in fasting in the sackcloth and earth upon them. They got sick and tired of being sick and tired. And Ezra stood up. Let's see, let's see where it's at. And they stood up in their place and read in their book the law of the Lord their God. One fourth one day and another fourth they confessed and worshiped their God. Bottom line is he begins to explain why they're in the condition they are. And he begins to, uh, in verse 9, verse 8, And he found us this heart faithful before thee in the maddest of the covenant with to give him in the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Jebusites. Back up just a little bit. Jebusites. You know, the last Jebusite that was alive at that point in Jerusalem was Arana, and that's where David bought the threshing floor from him after he had numbered the Israels. I had to throw that in real quick, because when I see a name like that, I recognize it. I gotta see, wow, you know, there's this right there. Okay, verse 9. And did set the affliction of our fathers in Egypt, and heard us their cry by the Red Sea. Now here they are, you've got a, a million and a half, 1.8 million people on the side of a sea being run down. And this is, oh, I'm running out of time. And, and they're staying there, what are we going to do? What are we gonna, and they witnessed the Lord open up on dry ground. Verse 11, and thou didst divide the sea before them, so they went through the midst of the sea on dry ground. Now how can a group of people, he goes on down to say, Verse 17, verse 16, But our fathers dealt proudly and hard in the necks and hearkened not unto thy commandments and refused to obey, neither were mindful of thy wonders. And it goes on to say and explain how they even made a golden calf at the foot of Sinai after this great deliverance and said, this is the God that brought us out. I can't understand that. To me, I know how much I love him now and, and I haven't seen these things. I only can read about it, but can you imagine witnessing a million and a half people walking across a sea on dry ground and then say, get on the other side and say, let's make this golden calf. This, this hunk of metal right here is what did that. But they did it. So I can't never say, and I'm not going to be so stupid to say, that'll never happen to me. 
Because there's nothing anybody's ever done in this world that, that, that I'm not capable of. It's only by the grace of God and the blood of Christ that puts his hedge around me and gives me promises to, I will bless you if, I will bless you if, I will bless you if. Okay, I'll take the if any day. And I'm going to finish with this because I'm, I'll, I'll finish this up next time. This is a powerful story here. You can take a corn seed and put it in a jar and set it up on a shelf. And this is how most Christians accept Christ now. They ask Jesus to come into their heart. They've got that seed of salvation in and they do nothing with it. For a hundred years, 50 years, 5 years, 200 years, if that seed just sits in that jar on the shelf, it's going to remain there with no fruit. But the minute you take that seed out and put it on good ground and water it and give it light, it's going to take root and die of itself and it's going to come up out of the ground and produce tenfold, hundredfold just by doing it the right way. And this is our life. We can get saved and accept Christ and be on fire and then we put ourselves on the shelf and produce no fruit. How is that? If the reality of it came out and said, how close I was to perishing. I I'm not going to sit on the shelf, folks. This is this ministry, not just this God has become so much a part of my life that people, that I could hurt a lot of people if I, if, I, if I took out a step and I believe God would take me. I believe I could get so, I believe that he looks ahead in the future and he could see in my life how I've professed. And he could see, okay, because that's, that's in the Bible too. Why does God take away good people? to spare them from the evil to come. I don't have time to bounce back to that scripture. But I believe God can look on my life, not that I'm anything great, and say, you know what? I'm not going to put him through that. I'm not going to let him go through that. You come on home, boy. You've done a good job. But I haven't. I failed. But I want to get in front of him one day. Say, you've done good, boy. Sorry. I just love him. And I want our church to love him. I want our church to grow. I want our church to win souls. I want our church to put more missionaries on the field. Why can't we put another 50? You get 20 more people in this church that are tithers and, and, and see this one in their heart, we can put another 50 missionaries on the field. We can do it, folks. It's the heart. And I'm going to have to close with that. I didn't get to finish, and I'm sorry. We'll finish next. Maybe not. I want to get to that story of Samaria, man. That is just—it's just done something to me. Uh, Lord, in front of these disciples, I'm gonna show you something, fellas. Y'all just look. I'm dying for her, as well as you. You listen to Deacon Danny Cahoot. For more information. Visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.